Podcast One. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, this one is big. The data is brand new and for Australian marketers, it should prove massively motivating. The global brand master of advertising effectiveness, the Peter Field, is with us today to unpack a new Australian study he's been involved in with the Communications Council. It shows Australian marketers are breaking radically from their US and UK peers on long-term advertising spends versus GDP growth. Now, Australia is really out of sync quite markedly so, it seems. Uh, In fact, we could be seeing Australian marketers, Australian New Zealand marketers showing clear signs of panic. So joining Peter Field today is Communications Council CEO Tony Hale and LinkedIn's Director of Marketing Solutions, Prue Cox, where Peter is one of LinkedIn's B2B Institute's research fellows globally. So welcome to you all. This, I think, is going to be a fascinating conversation. And Tony, to you first, we'll drill down a little later into the findings and implications for Australia. Australian brands. But before we get to Peter, what the hell is happening in Australia? You've got a a report, imminent report coming out called Advertising Effectiveness Rules, Winning or Losing in a Recession. And really interesting, it has uncovered some quite stunning data on how different and possibly bunkered down Australia is to the US and the UK. So can you just talk us quickly through the key top line findings there, Tony, and then we'll get to some broader conversation with Peter and Prue. What the hell's going on in Australia at the moment? Thanks, Paul. So so we launched Australian Advertising Effectiveness Rules last year after spending a fair bit of time with Peter Field and, and Rob Britton analysing the EFI's database that we just set up. And we did our first report last year and we got really, really good feedback from the marketers, many of whom we work closely with in the EFIs. And as Australia hadn't had a recession since 1990 or 91 and New Zealand since 2008 or 2009, we thought, well, wouldn't it be good to assess what Australia, how Australia handled it and how international people handle it and bring the best advice we possibly could to the market. So we got Peter and Rob involved and I don't think it was a surprise that even though we hadn't had a recession, we found that marketers were cutting back their budgets because we live in a global economy and we have a lot of global um, accounts, so uh, global businesses, so that wasn't really a surprise. And we always sensed that there was an element, if the world seizes, the Australian marketers put themselves to bed with a hot water bottle. But what really surprised us is that they stayed there. They didn't really come out. And when we were mapping GDP with ad spend, we were finding that both in Australia and New Zealand, we weren't recovering like the US and the UK were. And they're the ones that had the real recessions. This is going back, Tony, to the early 90s recession or back at the GFC, did you see this this market divergence? Well, in Australia's case, it was uh, from the early 90s. Right, because you, you, you've actually produced a couple of 
couple of charts which are quite striking visually. Obviously, we can't um, we can't display that in an audio in a podcast. But if you look at the the the, the charts, they're a market. You see Australia, uh, US, and the UK uh, having some similar uh, trends and tracking ad spend versus um, GDP. Australia sort of goes in a really different direction, like a fork in the road, if you like. So, what do you um, what do you think? What's your initial hunch there? Before we get to Peter, Tony, what's your initial hunch on what do you think's going on? The thing that I have noticed is probably a couple of elements. They firstly haven't had the experience. So, you know, if we haven't had a recession since 1991 and the average lifespan of a marketer is two years, there's probably more than 10 marketers in any one brand or company since we since we first had it. So firstly, there's the first-hand experience of how to deal with it. Secondly is having the right data points and the proof to be able to talk to the CFOs on how they might actually manage it and going and having constructive conversations with CFOs and CEOs um, about uh, um, uh, about how they might manage it and how they might um, grow themselves during a recession. But probably earlier over the last 10 to 15 years, we hear an increasing um, amount of, of, of people that are assessing that marketers in Australia, not just in Australia but globally, have sort of lost the reins on the strategic thinking to a certain extent and it's been taken over by finance operatives within companies or strategy people in their own right. So I'm not sure that they have either um, some of the tools they need or potentially some of the influence they need to be able to manage it as effectively as most would like. Well, Peter Field, we hope, uh, has all the answers. Uh, Peter, you've, you've seen the data. Obviously, you're involved in it in the Australian research. Uh, did any of this surprise you when you when you saw it? And then uh, talk to us a little bit about what you think is going on in the mindset uh, and, the, and the MO of Australia versus the UK and the US. Surprising data, yeah? Yeah. Look, I mean, I'm not entirely surprised by this for the reasons that Tony's already talked about. Um, I mean, clearly what we are seeing in Australia is indications of some very, very severe cutting going on. In the UK, we're forecasting something like a 14% cut. It's looking like it's going to be more severe in Australia. You can certainly explain part of that, I think, by perhaps... Um, less experience in the Australian marketplace uh, than in the UK of handling recessions. I often joke that we're world leaders in recession in the UK. We really, you know, we, we have more than our fair share of them. So I think there is some understanding in the UK that, um, uh, that recessions are not uh, an obvious time to cut marketing budgets. You know, in fact, there is a very good reason to maintain them. But, you know, I think we can get cocky in the UK and think that somehow we're smart enough to work our way through it. We're already seeing a lot of evidence in the UK of businesses, major brand um, owners, who are already making rookie mistakes about this and beginning to cut their budget because of the kind of CFO-CEO axis. And Tony's absolutely right. I think the dividing line between businesses that see recessions as a time to hold their nerve and indeed to be opportunistic and those who cut and run is really um, very strongly focused on the extent to which the CMO has influence with the CEO and CFO because you've really got to put that argument at board level that says look there is a fantastic opportunity sitting staring us in the face and and in this report uh, Rob Britton has interviewed some of the Australian marketers who get that and some of the Australian marketers who have put that argument to their boards and and managed to um, get their backing to it but that's a big big uh, ask for marketers who have been 
kind of cut out of the boardrooms increasingly and have perhaps lost that influence. And they really need to find it. Now is the time that marketers need to refine that voice, get an evidence-based argument. And there's tons of evidence out there that says, you know, we should reinvest. Clearly, omens aren't good in Australia because even in the GFC, when you didn't technically have a recession, unlike the rest of the world, you still cut and ran. You know, it was almost as... It's almost as if um, uh, it just seemed like a good thing to do at the time. Somebody once said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And I think perhaps there is a certain amount of that going on at the moment, that we're all bigging up. Peter, there's just a, there is a good argument, or not, uh, there is an argument in Australia that says, like the UK post-GFC, uh, where there was a recession in the UK, uh, marketers in the UK and US perhaps more seasoned in recessions. And we don't have that here. We didn't learn any lessons uh, out of having a recession post-GFC. We breezed through it, a bit of creative licence there, but uh, there wasn't the pressure that marketers didn't have the pressure in Australia that they had in the UK. Are they more seasoned? Are they behaving differently now, do you think? Uh, is there some institutional or learning that's gone on? Are they better at it? I think the answer is almost certainly no, because I don't think people are getting better at it in the UK or in, um, in the US at the moment. I think we're making the same rookie mistakes. It's been more than 10 years since the last recession. There's a new generation of marketers in there. They've got to kind of learn, learn it all over again. Um, but the evidence is really clear that, you know, you hold your nerve, you at least maintain your share of voice in market, or if you can find the resources, you boost that. You'll be able to do that for less money. It's a great time to invest. Uh, and these should be seen as times of opportunity. But I don't see there's a big, big learning in Australia or New Zealand any more than there really is in the UK at the moment, because we've all got to learn it over again. Um, but there is a second threat as well, because there's two big battles, I think, that uh, marketers have to win in recession. One is to defend budgets enough just to keep a share of voice there so they can keep the brand hanging on in there. But the second one is to fight the temptation to go short, you know, go short-term marketing, to put all that money into performance marketing on the basis that, you know, it's the now that matters and we can't afford to worry about uh, next year. And that is really, really insane, and it's really dangerous. You know, particularly when market demand is down now, what is the point of scrapping it out when there's declining demand out there? Or, frankly, you can't meet demand, which is the situation in some categories. You know, and the whole benefit of investing in recession comes through brand marketing, because the benefits of brand marketing play out six to 12 months later when we're in the recovery phase, and then all of that cheap media you bought in the recession really starts to pay back. Um, so, you know, you've really got to fight both those battles, fight for the dollars invested in advertising and fight for the long dollars invested in advertising because they're the ones that make sure you have a great recovery. Peter, you got big support globally from the marketing community around your work and the and the data that's coming out around exactly this long and short of it, the long-term brand building, short-term activation and, and the weighting, the balance between it. Do you talk to CEOs and CFOs? And when you do, uh, do you find that there is an understanding? Are they receptive to it? Because let's face it, if you can't convince those that those uh, that level of executives, there's not many of us that will. Oh, and I've talked to a lot of CEOs and CFOs and the clients I work with. That's often why I get brought in to uh, companies to put the argument 
at board level. And I find if you give them a hard evidence-based argument, these are smart people, um, very smart people, but very, very few of them have any kind of marketing background. So we simply can't expect them to intuitively understand the difference between long and short-term you know, brand versus activation. But if you give them an evidence-based argument that shows them the way these two different um, ways of uh, driving growth work over different timescales, and you can give them the evidence of the importance of balance, they buy it, they get it, and you can create an opportunity to put together a much more productive marketing plan. So I've worked with quite a few businesses that have done this, um, but it's all down to getting an evidence-based argument together. They're not going to buy um, a lot of swagger and a lot of promise. They need to see the numbers, and if you do that, you'll get their ear. Right, we might look back around on that in a minute because I think we'd love to know some of the arguments and the data and how you present it. It's probably how you say it as much as what you say, Peter. Prue Cox, you've got a, a, a quite a, an interesting perspective on what's going on in the Australian market at the moment. The B2B community look like perhaps that they are actually pulling back on lower funnel tactical uh, response-driven sort of campaigns at the moment. Uh, what are you seeing in this market? What's your What's your sense? Yeah, we're definitely seeing a shift away from short-term activity. And it feels like B2B marketers are definitely just more in tune with their customers at the moment. Now, realising that that hard sell, lower funnel activity is just really challenging at the moment. We're seeing a shift towards sort of brand building, upper funnel activity in services, in tech and in FinServe. And they're really taking a, a longer-term view you know, with their marketing, making sure that they're positioning well for long-term growth and a return to business continuity when their customers are ready. And I think that's really important. I think they're really in tune with where their customers are at at the moment and understanding the shifts that are needed to be made. Um, I think we're also seeing clients pivot away from these one-to-one sales activity because they, they have to. And, you know, pivoting that into marketing programs that are focused on one to few, one to many, but this is predominantly more upper funnel activity than it's ever been. So where they're shifting away from, you know, that traditional sales activities that would have actually, you know, spurned into those short-term results, they're realising that where they actually need to be focusing, you know, both their, their time, effort and investments is in that lower funnel to actually build on long-term growth. So it is quite a shift from what we've seen. It is a big shift, Prue, and a part of it, I think you, you, we're talking earlier about this, is because some of those, the ability to do sales one-to-one and events for, for, uh, are all off, and so they are literally saying, what else can we do? Is that part of the, the causal effect here? I think so. I think definitely the understanding that that, that one-to-one sale isn't an opportunity there. Events have been a very big part of uh, B2B marketing programs. And you know, I think what we see, they had to pivot very quickly, you know, their large marketing budgets from sort of high impact face-to-face events to more virtual experience. And most of the customers that I've been talking about are not thinking, when do we return to the old strategy, but more of how do we create this new hybrid strategy? And I think we'll definitely start to see a hybrid strategy there. They're thinking about, you know, this has given them an opportunity to be more efficient. Um, with their marketing spends and to be more consistent in customer touch points as well. So they're able to have strategies for scale, but also personal approaches for certain sort of segments. Um, I think the challenge that they're now facing is creating that new playbook for the hybrid model um, and in particular virtual events and and how they look different to what they've done traditionally in an offline sense. Um, And then also understanding the role of sort of ongoing content programs with that as well. 
Have you got some examples there of what you've seen uh, where the B2B sector is doing brand-based work, longer-term longer brand-building stuff? What, what, have you, what have you observed? Yeah, we're definitely seeing it in tech. The tech brands, which have so um, for so long been focused on that lower funnel activity, you know, they're shifting their creative very much to be more humanised, showing empathy, creating a purpose for their brand. And I think they're understanding that they need to focus on positioning their brands for the long term with that buying committee. Um, you're seeing that locally with your, the likes of IBM. You know, Salesforce, ServiceNow, who've all traditionally been more lower funnel activity, doing some really interesting creative work um, focused on brand. You're a tech company, Prue. Are you walking the talk? We are. I mean, as much as everyone else has had to pivot really quickly, we've had to pivot really quickly as well. Um, and I think, you know, we're learning as much um, from our clients as, as we are from our own marketing activities. Um, but certainly, you know, we focused a lot on events, you know, which now have had to go into the virtual space. And then just trying to understand and learn, you know, how to actually customise that type of experience to the right segments online. But definitely we're in the same boat where we now think we'll continue to have a hybrid model. It won't be just a return to what we had. It'll actually, you know, creating and forging a, a new playbook for how we actually, you know, market to our clients. Well, Peter, as I mentioned earlier, you're a, a research fellow, I think, uh, with the B2B Institute out of New York, LinkedIn's B2B Institute. You authored a report earlier this year on the long-term brand building, short-term activation uh, for the B2B sector. What do you make of what Prue's saying? Does this sort of make sense to you? And is it is it the same in, 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 in your market, in the UK and the US? What are you seeing? Yeah, no, well, look, I mean, first of all, full credit, I think, to LinkedIn for the enormous work they've done in the B2B sector. I mean, my colleague Les Binet and I wrote a report for them last year where we looked to see if we could validate the same long and short effects and the key findings that come out of that, that observation in the B2B world. And we found that they hold, they hold very strongly in B2B. There is a need to do the brand building alongside activation if you want to drive maximum uh, growth, maximum success. And LinkedIn have really, really pushed this out there. It's been an enormous success story in terms of, you know, just kind of hitting the B2B world. So I think um, there has been a real understanding. There have been a lot of B2B marketers out there who've said, you know, hallelujah, We've always thought this, but we needed the evidence. I think it's made a big difference in B2B. We're definitely seeing that. I think B2B brands are increasingly understanding that and in the same way realising that um, recessions can be a time of opportunity when you've got a brand building agenda to do. You know, this is, this is the time to do it. Um, and particularly if you can hook yourself into the kind of moods of B2B businesses at the moment, you know, who are looking for a slightly different kind of approach. The short, hard sell isn't playing well generally in marketplaces, whether it's B2C or B2B at the moment, whereas the more humane, you know, the more the softer long-term sell, brand sell, is playing better uh, to the moods of businesses and people now. So it's the time to do it. And I think, as I say, full credit to LinkedIn to get that, getting that realisation out there uh, at a great time. Prue and or Peter, do you think B2B is then catching up with how B2C, business-to-consumer companies, uh, have been operating for a while? And Peter's talked about how they're not actually uh, walking the talk necessarily, but their understanding of long-term and short-term is probably perhaps more advanced, has been more advanced, progressed at least, than B2B. Is that a fair observation, but B2B's catching up? I think, uh, I mean, B2B for a long time has been very sophisticated in understanding the ROI, but that has predominantly sat at that lower 
end of the funnel. I think where they're you're definitely catching up is understanding measurement and ROI for brand activity and then being able to communicate the value of that internally and to actually create more of a voice. I think the shift in um, the role of sales at the moment, because a lot of salespeople can't do the role that they were doing previously with that face-to-face customers, is actually shifting you know, and elevating then the importance of marketing and giving marketing more of a voice. Mm, interesting. And, and that's longer term, you think, Prue? That'll, that'll hang around a bit? I think it will because I don't think, you know, I don't think it's going to be a short shift back to where we were. And I think what is definitely happening for marketers that I'm speaking to is they're going to take the great things out of what, you know, has happened now. They're going to take the silver lining pieces to actually help build their strategies forward. Um, and that means that we're going to see more efficiencies. We're going to see a, you know, a, a closer relationship between sales and marketing. And I think we're going to start to see you know, CMOs have a more of a voice at the executive table. That makes sense to you, Peter, uh, and, and, and the business to consumer, the gap that might be closing between those two sectors, do you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think B2B, uh, as Bruce said, are very smart, sophisticated, like many in the B2C world, been very led by short-term ROI in the past, but they've realised that there is a real need to broaden that, uh, broaden the metrics and broaden the understanding. Because let's be clear about it, if you're led by short-term ROI, which so much of the performance marketing world is overly obsessed with, if you're obsessed with short-term ROI, you don't get the brand thing. You don't do it, you don't measure it, you'll never do it. And of course, the problem is, that you're not going to drive long-term growth if you just focus on the short-term all the time. You've got to do both, but you've got to have the metrics in place. And I think it's a really, really important development. Um, That's a very important way, I think, in which B2B is is perhaps going to catch up and overtake the B2C world, uh, getting that kind of broader sense of what we need to measure. Tony, let's get to uh, some of the implications and findings from the Australian report. I think it's due out on June 18. You've got a webinar with Peter Field uh, on the same day to, to, to go through in great detail what, uh, what this report's about. But the top line findings, I think one of the things that uh, you, you observed, Tony, was that um, there might be clear signs of panic in the Australian uh, and New Zealand marketing community as the possibility of, of a deep recession looms. Talk us through that. Well, I think that the evidence that you see straight away is that it's interesting that Peter was just saying that the UK, the media spend is down around about 15%. Did you say that, Peter? That's what they're forecasting. We haven't, I don't know the the latest numbers. Last time around the GFC, it was about 20%. So I would expect that to be about right, yeah. So I think the point is, is that the SMI figures for, for April and probably May are going to show a dip in paid advertising of around about 35% in Australia. Now, that's a very dramatic fall when you consider that the implications both economically and from a health point of view in Australia are nowhere near as significant as in North America and the UK. Now, you can understand certain categories and industries within that because they've had planes shut down and shops and, and, and pubs shut and all of that sort of stuff. But I think good marketers will look at this as an opportunity and it's a great opportunity where media rates have gone down to go out there and do something positive. And it's not to say that there isn't good advertising because there has been some good advertising and interestingly, I think there's been a return in some ways to older style advertising. You've seen the banks, for example, who are in a very busy sector go back to information campaigns and 
and and um, surprise, surprise, we're seeing double-page spreads in newspapers. It seems that people have rediscovered newspapers, which have always been a very good medium, as Paul, you and I well know. You've also seen some good advertisers take opportunities, such as um, the TAB with their Let's Play have just come out with a new, a great new ad with the, with the seagulls eating the pie in an empty stadium. Um, encouraging people that want to support to download the COVID Safe app. You've seen BCF, Boating, Camping, Fishing, uh, encouraging people to set up camping in the backyard of Anzac Day in self-isolation and having a great new retail ad which is a spoof on setting up for a home office. There's been Colgate Smile, I've even seen Cocoa Pops and stuff like that. So it's not as if there isn't advertising out there. There is advertising and some good advertising. But if you have the situation where we're dropping 35% and the UK is 15 to 20% where it's far more severe, you've got to understand, you've, you've got to ask the question as to whether the Australian marketing community is losing confidence in the ability of advertising to perform not only their functions but stimulating um, an, uh, an economic recovery. And, Paul, to take your question, I think the, the crunch time in Australia is likely to come at the end of September and early October when the government relief packages um, are wound back and then we might see we might see quite a considerable amount of unemployment. And if I was a marketer, I'd be working towards that and really looking at my opportunities to say, how can I engage with my consumers? How can I increase my share of voice? How, what opportunities can I take to increase, increase my market share between now and the next three months? Because that, that likely is when it's going to hit. Some of the stats you talk about, Tony, is it took eight years for the US uh, to return to ad spend levels that were pre-GFC and it took the UK five years. I wonder, Australia, if you look at your numbers, we're not there yet. Well, well, the UK, the, New Zealand is not there yet. Australia is about level seven years later. But it was interesting going back to very one of your, one of your very early questions. It could be, I, I don't really know, but because we don't actually feel the impacts of the recessions here, there may not be the urgency to re-stimulate the economy that you might see in the in the Northern Hemisphere. So, for example, in the UK, when they do get a severe downturn, they're very conscious that they've got to re-stimulate the economy. They look to advertising as one of the very tangible methods by which you can do that. And it is a proven method. Maybe in Australia, you just get a bit lazy because GDP trundles along, gradually increasing and, and we're all employed and so forth. We don't really think um, hardly and sharply enough about the important role that advertising can play and should play. Peter, it's fascinating really because we talk about Australia sort of undercooking itself. It's, it's, its view of itself is sometimes lower than what, um, what what we might actually be. But at the same time, you're saying in the UK that marketers haven't learned the lessons enough or there's a new breed that's come through and don't remember uh, the GFC and the recession. You've had a bit to do with Australia. What sits with you on this? Well, look, as Tony says in any market, there's, you know, there are some that get it and some that don't. And what we're seeing in the UK is clear, classic, same as the GFC response, budgets being cut, but a lot of money going into performance, short-term marketing. And I'm pretty sure that's going to be happening in Australia too. 
So, um, you know, I think this is something you really have to, you have to watch out for. You have to keep the balance right. There is certainly no suggestion that it is smart to switch the balance into short-term marketing uh, right now. In fact, if anything, the suggestion is the other way around. If the short-term demand is either uh, not there, reduced, or frankly, you can't meet short-term demand because of supply chain interruptions, then it seems to me to be insane to dial up short-term marketing. But we know this is going on, and I'm absolutely certain it'll be going on in the Australian marketplace. Aside, of course, from Prue's observation about the B2B world, who seem to be uh, perhaps smarter in this respect. Um, so, you know, I, th- I think the same knee-jerk responses will be happening in Australia as elsewhere, and you've really got to, uh, you've got to kind of fight back against them because the knee-jerk responses are not the smart ones. Are you aware of any sound, strong arguments, economic arguments, to why advertising shouldn't track GDP, Peter? I mean, clearly, what's what we know has been driving advertising growth in the UK and the US, particularly in recent years, has been massive innovation in those marketplaces. So we know a lot of the growth in advertising has been driven by new and greater numbers of advertising. So things like the, you know, D to C revolution that um, has been absolutely exploding in both the US and the UK has been a big part of driving that. Uh, for our listeners there, DTC, if you don't know what DTC is, that's direct to consumer companies. They try to cut out the middlemen uh, intermediaries and go direct, just to be clear. Uh, absolutely right. So with direct to consumer, you clearly, you're, you're not going through the retail, you're, you're selling direct to consumer. So you've got to, you've got to advertise, you've got to get consumers to know you and know you well. So it requires major brand investment up front. That of course provokes a response from the incumbents with traditional distribution distribution channels. And that has, of course, driven a lot of ad growth, I think, in the UK and the US. Um, Perhaps that has yet to fully gather momentum in Australia and New Zealand, um, but it will do, I'm sure. Um, So it is in many ways, I think, a symbol of a a vibrant and competitive economy. Um, uh, And it's right, I think, that uh, ad spend should track GDP. If ad spend is lagging GDP, as it has done in Australia to some degree and very badly in New Zealand, then I think that's not a good sign. And, um, uh, you know, a lot of work done by um, the Advertising Association in the UK has argued that um, it is a healthy indicator of the economy, and I think that's true. Prue, do you have any thoughts on that on that uh, direct-to-consumer point that Peter makes? Because I, 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 my observations would be that Australia is not as strong in building out disruptive companies or direct-to-consumer companies like the US and the UK, and there could be something in that. Would you concur or where do you sit on that? Yeah, I definitely think there is. And I think that, you know, definitely what we're going to see specifically in the tech category is, you know, this is quite opportunistic for them. And that's why we're going to start to see them investing more because, you know, digital transformation, disrupting, you know, current distribution channels, et cetera, is what we're going to start to see. And I think that's where, you know, is buoying you know, forward a lot of their investment and their long-term thinking and growth. And I think that that's where we're going to see, you know, tech vertical probably bucking the trend with their marketing investments. On this chart or the data that that you've got, Tony, it's all about ad spend versus GDP. And, and we were talking earlier about how there is a lot of activity now that's not paid media. And so even though ad spend may not be tracking in Australia along, along those lines, is the money going somewhere? It's just not in that paid media context. Tony, your thoughts on that? And then I'll get Peter's and Prue's. 
Look, a, a couple, and there's certainly there's certainly an element, but we probably should. You you ask a good question, else about what what other economic features um, could um, could be influencing here, and even though Australia has had what 28 years of GDP growth. I think it's fair to say that a fair amount of that growth is what I would term lazy growth, in that it's in that it can be written, it can be driven by immigration, and we've had net immigration of something like a couple of hundred thousand a year for 20 years, and and within immigration you certainly get growth in non-market activities such as infrastructure, ed, medicine, education all of those sort of things. So if you actually did a GDP per capita, it wouldn't have shown that that um, long-term sustained growth. So, so you do have that element that you've got to take into account. Having said that, the advertising should be increasing roughly in line with GDP anyway. Now, it is fair to say that maybe what has happened in Australia is that there's been a lot of experimentation with owned and um, earned media as distinct to paid media. And I think it's fair to say that without having stats that there's a lot of marketers that find it very easy to develop their own content and drive it through their own social, their own digital tracks and and concentrate on shorter term um, activation oriented campaigns, the brand building. And some of that wouldn't have been caught in these figures because these are paid advertising. But that probably supports the argument that we're talking about in any case because what it's saying is that it's not being used for productive marketing purposes in that you're not using it to building long brand sustainability and, and long-term profitability. Peter, do you do you accept that there may be uh, a diversion of budgets away from paid media where it's easy to track, easy to uh, monitor and, and quantify versus some of the other stuff that goes on? And we're talking to Tony's point about content, whether it be owned and earned channels, social channels, producing content for that. But beyond that, customer experience management and actually trying to improve using a lot of technology uh, and new thinking to improve customer experience so that you possibly, these companies can walk the talk later without telling everyone they're fantastic, show you're fantastic by improving your customer experience journeys and so forth. Is there anything in that? I'm a huge supporter of um, investment in customer experience. It's clearly uh, crazy to imagine that we can make brands successful in the long term simply through com. So big supporter of that. I'd just make a very obvious observation really here that um, if you really want to get the return on investment in customer experience, you kind of need to tell people what you've been up to. So the two go hand in hand. And we've, we know this very well from the UK data I work with, the IPA data, that if you want to generate earned media, if you want to get people uh, more au fait, more understanding of what you're doing, you need the paid media to prime that. If you want to get people talking about your brand, it's great that you're doing good stuff in customer experience or content or whatever, but you need to tell people about it. They're not going to find it for themselves and they're not going to share it otherwise. So the two got to go hand in hand. <clears throat> uh, but I do I certainly support the sense that um, marketing should be more than just um, the colouring in department, more than just um, comms. It should have influence in all aspects of, of the brand. It's distribution, it's pricing, it's baggaging, you know, uh, and the customer experience. Absolutely important that marketing gets back into a broader, you know, the CMO gets back a broader role in terms of driving those other facets, which many businesses, the CMO have lost that influence 
really need to get that back to, you know, all of these things need to work together. So I know I fully support that. I think it, it would be a healthy development if that is indeed what is happening here. Pru, you've got a, you're obviously a platform that covers both paid and content, if you like, and companies use you to distribute content. What do you, what, what do you make of this argument? I mean, we really encourage our customers to have a very healthy and dedicated approach to organic content. Um, and we do feel that the more that you can optimise your organic, then, you know, the ability to optimise on your paid. Um, the majority of your organic activity is going to reach your existing customers um, or your employees. So your opportunity with that to start to look at increases in market share, to increase your overall share of voice against com competitors is very low. So we talk about the role of organic and paid together. It shouldn't be an either or. There's a place for both of them and they both, you know, do have some, some really core objectives. But, you know, the, the real, you know, strength is when they can come together and, and work very strongly together. Prue's just said something really, really important that I think everyone needs to, to really um, note. You know, we know from all the work done by the Ehrenberg Bass Institute in Australia that if you want to drive growth, you've got to be reaching out to new customers. And I think the danger is a lot of the kind of organic customer experience stuff um, will just play to existing customers. And if you want to drive growth, you've got to get that message out to non-customers. Uh, and it won't necessarily find its own way there. That's why paid and organic need to work together. And that's a really, really clear finding of lots of analysis. Yeah, great points. Um, we're going to wrap this up very shortly. But before we do, Peter, I want to get to you on the definition of what investing in brand is. We talked about this a bit earlier. Uh, we had Suncorp's CMO uh, on MI3's podcast a, a little while back. And she talked about, during COVID, by the way, and she talked about how they were continuing to invest in brand. But that investment in brand was things like investing in the girls' netball competition and building out sort of digital products through COVID that was going to help the girls connect and still train and so forth. And, and Mim Haysom said that to us is brand investment. That's investing long-term in younger people so we, we're around later on. Do you accept that? Is that valid and it's just not all about paid advertising? How do you define this? Oh, absolutely. I 100% support that. You know, I think there's been one of, I think, the really positive aspects of this pandemic has been a lot of businesses, probably for the first time, have experimented with, you know, what you might call purpose, putting money and effort and people and even manufacturing uh, resource into uh, good causes into things that help people in this current downturn. And I think that has, for the companies who've done it well, been a very positive development. And I hope that we will applaud those businesses and that many businesses will learn from this. Because you're absolutely right, you know, brand building is more than just, you know, running ads. It is about how you behave as a business. And it's about, you know, what you do for customers and society in general. You know, and I think... Um, this development is, is really good, not just for brands, but it's good for businesses. And frankly, it's good for capitalism. Capitalism, I think, has had a bit of a bad press in recent years. There have been excesses. And I think the sense in which businesses um, seize this opportunity to reconnect, reconnect with communities and with ordinary people is a really potentially positive outcome from this downturn. Uh, so I applaud that hugely and encourage it. Great points. Well, listen, we'll, we'll wind it up with some final thoughts. Tony, uh, apart from your final thought, which is probably going to be June 18, 
come to the webinar, read the report, it's all out. I'm sure you're going to say that. Apart from that, final thoughts for the next six months. What do you think? Couldn't have said that better. June 18, I would encourage every marketer, every CFO, every CEO that wants to grow their business to tune in and find out what the masters of the world have got to say about how to turn COVID-19 and the impending recession into, into an opportunity. We know how advertising works, but sometimes we forget in this country. The work that we did on advertising pays shows that advertising does play an important part, role in, in creating demand, stimulating competition in innovation, which leads to important. We've all got a very important role in playing from an advertising point of view to help pick us out of this recession and everybody should tune into um, the webinar on June 18 to figure out how they can use it, how they can do it. Well, I might have to sign up to the webinar after that, Tony. That was pretty impressive. Prue Cox, what are you looking at for the next six months? Look, I think we've reached a really interesting point with B2B marketers. I think it is that turning point where they're going to move away from that addiction of you know, performance marketing and just short-term results. I think we're you know, seeing them shift into upper funnel activity and brand building activity and I think that we're going to you know, see that that is going to help them in the long term actually return to business continuity and to actually achieve growth and as I said earlier I think it's going to start to see you know, hopefully you know, CMOs really um, at the table um, of the executive suite. Great points. Peter Field to you to, to wrap it up what would you be saying to marketers right now and what they should be doing? Okay, so this is your time to shine, I say to CMOs. You know, you've got to get the evidence together to put to the CFO and the CEO not to go dark, not to, not to allow your presence in the market to fall, and certainly not to go short. And you're going you're gonna to have to call upon uh, a lot of data, but also your own uh, authority and persuasive power here. Because, you know, you can be part of the solution or you can be part of the problem. And I think there is a huge opportunity for CMOs who see this as the real chance to rise uh, and shine and get their businesses on a firm footing for the recovery. This is a big opportunity time. Uh, well, my final thoughts are, I think with the world should clone uh, Peter and Les Burnett, shop them around to every CEO and board in the universe and we might see some progression. That was deep. Thank you very much. Thank you all for joining today. Fascinating conversation. Uh, we may be back in a couple of weeks, so uh, hang around for the follow-up. Peter, thank you from the UK. Tony, Prue, Thank you. Thank you, Paul. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's moi in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button.